And this morning, the, um, the beatitude that we're looking at is where Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So again, over the past few weeks, we've begun this journey through the Beatitudes. Uh, as Bron shared earlier, and Akant mentioned as well in worship, uh, the key sort of themes or ideas that have been coming through of about recognizing our dependence on God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus said. That's recognizing that we're created by God to depend on him and not just do our own thing in life. And so this morning, here we are in verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus said, for they will be filled. Sort of reflecting this week and thinking that for us and for everyone, there there can be all sorts of different things that at different times we are hungry or thirsty for. You know, some live their lives and are said to be hungry for recognition. Some are maybe really hungry just to accumulate experiences and I'm just going to live life to the max and squeeze as much excitement out of it as I can. Some people are hungry for wealth. Some are hungry to achieve certain things. Some are hungry for adventure, for success, for love, for power, for fun. There are lots of different things that we can be hungry and thirsty for in the way that we live our lives. I kind of think that when we are hungry for something, it dominates our thinking. It shapes how we spend our time, our energy, and our resources. If you've ever uh, fasted for a period of time, if you've ever chosen to forego food, you know, it's one of the spiritual disciplines mentioned in the Bible, and I've, I've never been a big faster, mainly because I really like food. It's nothing too complicated about it. But I remember a few years ago, I um, decided, or we had a period of, of a week where I just really felt to, to pray specifically for some things. And I thought, God, uh, for this period of time, what I will do is I'll forego what we would normally eat and just limit myself to just eating rice and just drinking water for a week. So uh, I thought, got really excited about that, expectant that God would do something amazing. And then... When you're hungry, well, when I was hungry, my mind was most of the time filled with thoughts, not of the Lord and the powerful breakthrough that he was going to bring. It was a food. I'm just driving around, walking around, and I'm just naturally thinking about food. All the billboards and the advertising stuff around seems shinier than ever before. Like, oh, that burger does look really, really good. And that was after an hour of fasting. So (laughs) that was a long week in my life, really, really long week. But again, uh, when we are hungry, that hunger, that that desire within our physical bodies, it naturally shapes the way that we think. It it shapes our decisions. What we hunger for for things that are of importance to us. We hunger for things that matter to us. Hunger or thirst speaks of a deep desire for something that is actually necessary for our well-being. See, hunger and thirst is different from just want in general. It's possible to want a whole lot of things that we don't actually need. Again, the the analogy of our boys when they're hangry, and um, they might say, yeah, I'm hungry. What do you feel like eating? I feel like eating ice cream. I feel like eating candy. 
Yeah, right. And it's helping them to differentiate between a want and a need. Because if we bow to your request and give you a bowl of ice cream where your behavior is already off the planet, the behavior is only going to go more off the planet. But if you actually sit down and eat a good old Marmite sandwich or an apple or something that is actually of greater nutritional value for your body, that's where it actually has a positive effect. So hunger and thirst, as I was thinking about this, it's a desire for something that's necessary for our health and well-being. Our bodies physically are created needing food and liquid in order to survive and flourish. In reality, I think few of us living in the Western world know what it is to truly hunger and thirst. When we reflect on the world at large and, and situations of extreme poverty, there is an experience for people in those situations of hunger and thirst that goes way beyond me just having a hankering for a burger. Do you know what I mean? Because at the core of it, hunger and thirst is about a deep-seated need that our ongoing flourishing as human beings is dependent upon. I think recently for me, the closest I've got to really feeling an intense thirst has been uh, on Wednesday nights after our pre-season soccer training. And uh, we're, we've been doing this boot camp thing to try and get our middle-aged bodies into some semblance of fitness before the season starts. And uh, it's, it's hard work. And by the, I take my drink bottle with me and try and keep the fluids up. But inevitably, by the time I get home, it, I, just, I, I need to just drink water. I need to get fluids into my body. That looked more like I was throwing water over myself. I didn't do that. It was going in my mouth, you know. <laughs> We're created with innate needs as human beings. Physical hunger and thirst are to do what our, with what our physical bodies need. In Matthew 5, 6, Jesus speaks to us about coming to a point, I think, of where our lives revolve around Jesus and his priorities and his purposes, where we recognize our need for him, where we are hungering and thirsting after him and everything that he has for us. And when we come to that point of our lives revolving not around ourselves, our family, our career, the accumulation of wealth, all these other things that our culture says we should orient our lives around, when we actually get to the point where Jesus is the center of our lives and he is the one that we are hungering and thirsting for more than anything else, we discover that there is a satisfaction that we experience at the core of our being that cannot be found anywhere else. Because what Jesus offers to us as human beings created in the image of God is a deep-seated fulfillment of a longing that is in every human heart. You know, what we see in the world that we live in is for so many of our friends and family who don't know Jesus, they still have that longing in their heart, that what, what is often talked about is the God-shaped hole in the human heart where God creates every single one of us with this hole in our hearts. And that's part of his desire that we would search and ultimately find him as the fulfillment for it. But in the absence of Jesus Christ, what we're left with as human beings is still a desire within us that we can so easily try and fulfill in any number of different ways. I, I reflect on my, my life before I became a Christian when I was uh, 19, uh, 20 years of age, 
And uh, at the time, I would have said I was pretty fulfilled through just living my life and achieving some stuff and going out and partying and with my friends. It was all the stuff that our society says, this is what a great life looks like. But through all those experiences, I know that within my heart was still a deep sense of dissatisfaction. And God used that over a period of time to draw me to himself. That's what he does. We need him. And so Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What does this mean, hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Righteousness is a really interesting and and actually quite a complex idea that's used in a number of different ways in the Bible. Just a bit of a, a breakdown on some of these ideas connected with righteousness. At certain parts of the Bible, righteousness refers to a person's legal status before God. So again, the, the story of Scripture is that we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. None of us measure up to God's holiness or his perfect standard. So we have a legal standing before God, if we don't know Jesus, of we, we stand in a position where we are guilty of sin. But when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, a legal status is given to us as a gift by God. The gift of a righteous position before God is a free gift given not on the basis of what we do and how many hoops we jump through and how good a person we think we've been. It's given as a gift by believing in Jesus. So if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning and you reflect on your week and go, I've had a pretty terrible week. I've um, done this, that, and the other thing. I got grumpy at the kids. I um, cut someone off at the lights. I um, shortchanged someone. I, you know, I, if you've had the most horrible week imaginable and you look back and go, man, I've so missed it this week. It's possible to sit there and go, well, maybe I'm now out of God's love because I haven't done certain things. No, no, if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your performance on any given day or week does not change your legal standing before God because it's given as a free gift, not as wages that you have earned. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So righteousness in some parts of scripture talks about our standing before God. In other parts of the Bible, righteousness is about right conduct in an ethical sense. It's about how we live our lives. It can refer to our personal holiness, the decisions we make to live God's way or not to live God's way. Connected with that is the idea that righteousness describes not just me living a good life, it's about me living a life that seeks to alleviate suffering and injustice in the world. So that's kind of the second way in which righteousness is referred to in Scripture, broadly speaking. And thirdly, there's this idea that righteousness speaks clearly of who God is. God is righteous. So when he acts, he acts with righteousness. And we look forward to a day where God will once and for all put all of creation right. 
where we understand in our human experience living in this world that there is a lot that is not right, that is not according to God's plan. There is suffering, there is evil, there is greed, there is sin, there is sickness, there is so much that is not righteous. And as followers of Jesus, we are looking forward to a time, like Jesus said, again, he will return. And there is a day in the future where God will once and for all put things right and establish righteousness. And that will extend for all eternity. So righteousness is is pretty exciting, but it's pretty challenging as well. It deals with both a personal level, but also the big picture of what God is doing and what God will do, and also what he has done in Jesus Christ. So what do we do with all that, and how do we pull that into what Jesus is saying? Where he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, most Bible commentators agree that in Matthew 5 verse 6, Jesus is not referring to number one up here. He's referring more to the second and the third aspects of righteousness here. So he's not saying it's about hungering and thirsting to get in right standing with God. No, no. He's saying, blessed are those who live our lives according to the priorities and purposes of God's kingdom. Blessed are those who hunger for a life that brings glory to God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst to participate in what God is doing to fix some stuff that is broken in the world. Blessed are those who are hungering and thirsting for that future day where Jesus will return and the purposes of God will once and forever be fulfilled. So I just want to take a few moments this morning to unpack a few of these areas. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. If we think firstly about the level of our, how we live our lives personally, the level of personal uh, holiness, if you like. This is not about rules, and this is not about going, oh yeah, I don't really stack up, so I need to do a better job of living a Christian life. That's not, not what this is about. At the very heart of it, it's recognizing that Jesus has already done for us everything that needed to be done in order for us to come into a relationship with God. And then hungering and thirsting for righteousness is responding to what God has already done. And it's saying, Jesus, because of what you have done for me, I want to give my whole life to serve you. I want to give my whole life to worship you, not just in song, but in the decisions that I make, in the attitudes that I live by, how I use my time, my resources, my energy. I want it all to be for you, Jesus. So we've got to get that. I don't want you to go away from here going, oh, I need to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I I need to do more in order to earn God's love. No, stop. No, God's love is not earned. It is received as a free gift. And then the hungering and thirsting for the things of God is our response to receiving that love. I love this verse, these verses in Ephesians chapter five, verses one and two. Paul wrote these beautiful words. He says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, 
and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering. Another translation says, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. And I love that. See, it's not be imitators of God to try and be good enough for him. It's not follow God's example because you're afraid of being punished if you don't. It's not what it's about. It's follow God's example as dearly loved children. As Bron shared about when we were coming into worship this morning, one of the most important things in figuring out this Christian life is saying, Lord, would you give me an understanding of my identity as your child? Because if we don't know that we are already dearly loved children of God because of his grace, we'll be seeking to follow God's example for all the wrong reasons. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. If you're in Jesus Christ, you are a dearly loved son or daughter of God. That is who you are. And the idea of hungering and thirsting for righteousness is again going, thank you, Lord, that I am your child. This is not about me having to jump through hoops to get in your family. This is not about having to measure up to a standard in order to earn your love. This is knowing that I've already received the fullness of your love and the gift of salvation. And now I want to give my whole life back to you, God, to serve you, to love you. Because holiness gets a bit of a bad rap in church circles, eh? Holiness. Like, we think, oh, that sounds intense. Like, holiness is about being better than you are. Is, that's how I tend to think about it. God is holy. He's perfect in every way. And we know that we're not as human beings. So whenever we think about holiness, we, we run the risk of thinking of it in terms of what I'm doing that's not good enough and what I need to do in order to measure up to some standard. But if that's our approach to living the Christian life, it's only at best going to be legalistic and rules-based, where we're not called to base our lives upon rules, we're called to base our whole lives on a person, Jesus Christ. Hunger and thirst for righteousness I would suggest to you it's not so much about hungering and thirsting after an ideal or a list of desirable behaviors. It's hungering and thirsting after a person, Jesus Christ, whose image we are called to conform to. Hmm. 2 Corinthians 3.18 again says, we are all being transformed into his, into Jesus' image with ever-increasing glory. Another translation says it's from one degree of glory to another. If you believe in Jesus, the Spirit of God lives inside of you and he is at work to transform your life one degree of glory to another. One thing at a time, Jesus is with us to help us experience transformation. We become more like him as we hunger and thirst for him. I don't know, those of you who are, um, who are married and in family situations, I'm, I'm always um, a little bit shocked and surprised by the times where, um, over the holidays, for instance, I, I ordered myself a new um, tracksuit online, which was when I was actually quite sick the week before Christ Christmas. 
my um, judgment may have been impaired somewhat. It's a, I'll wear it for you one week. It's a pink tracksuit with green stripes. I thought it was cool. I think it is cool. I think it's quite cool. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's the top and the bottom. Yeah, yeah, it's the full, it's powerful, I tell you. I'll wear it next week, maybe. Yeah, yeah. You go home and get it now. <laughs> So I, I bought this, this tracksuit because I thought, that's actually quite cool. And, and it was um, just after the Football World Cup had finished, and it was a sale on the Adidas website, and it was actually a Japan football team-issued um, product. So I was like, that's kind of cool. We love Japan. I was like, I'm going to buy this tracksuit. And so then um, I shared that with Bron, and then she said, oh, I've just ordered a sweatshirt off the Adidas website. And she'd ordered the same kind of range not, this, not the exact same product, but she'd ordered the sweatshirt that was the same color scheme, the pink and the green. I was like, we've become one of those couples. <laughs> we will, in, you, you, we are one. You know, Jesus said that whoever leaves his father and mother, you become one with your, yeah, yeah. It's scary how this works. But again, when, when you spend time with another person, it's scary at times how alike you become in your thinking. Scary. When we hunger and thirst not after ideas or concepts, but after Jesus, it's amazing how he is at work in us and we become more like him in the way that we think, in the way that we approach life. Jesus did not lead me to buy a pink tracksuit. I just want to say that right now. Um, as I say, my judgment was impaired by sickness. That's my excuse anyway. Although I do think it's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. I'll let you be the judge of that at some future date. <laughs> so we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. As we seek to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to become more like Jesus, if you're anything like me, like I'm aware of heaps of areas in my life where I just go, Jesus, I, I'm not a perfect person. I, I, I'm aware of my thought life and my attitudes and on a daily basis, as we all are. And I go, man, God, there's so much in my life that I know isn't yet in line with your heart and your desire for the freedom that I walk in, Jesus. And it can be overwhelming when we think of all the areas of our lives where we're like, oh, man, I'm a terrible human being in so many ways. I'm sorry, Lord. He actually knows that better than we do. Like, that's not a surprise to him. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And he doesn't withhold his love because we're still a work in progress. He gives his love fully and says, I'm committed to you to walk with you on this journey of transformation. But what I've found to be a really helpful way of outworking practically this hungering and thirsting for righteousness is to trust in the leading of the Holy Spirit to identify just one area in your life that he's wanting to help you experience transformation in right now. The Holy Spirit is okay with there being other areas of your life that are kind of on the back burner, and he kind of in love just says, hey, this is one that right now in this season I really want to work with you with. Being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Praise God he doesn't expect us to work on 360 degrees of our lives at any one time. I encourage you to just pay attention to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. He's amazing in the way that he keeps on our case about what he wants to work with us on. Like you'll just kind of keep thinking about a thing and go, oh man, I, I keep seeing this aspect of my life 
my thinking or my attitudes or my behavior. And we often become aware of an area of our lives that is not what God intends. But please don't just focus on it as, I've got to stop doing that. I've got to stop lying. I've got to stop lying. I've got to stop lying. Because the more you focus on something, the more you're actually drawn to it. Have you ever noticed that? I've got to stop lying. got to stop lying. Oh, I've lied again. Because you're thinking about it. The work of transformation that Jesus wants to bring is not just, I want you to stop this. It's that he actually wants to bring us into a new dimension of freedom. Yes, there are things that he would want us to stop doing, ways he would want us to stop thinking. But if all our, our thinking of holiness is, is about don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Our whole definition of the Christian faith is negatively defined. And that's actually not attractive for any of us, eh? Oh, if it's just a bunch of rules of stuff that I can't do. It all just feels like, oh, this is such a limiting influence in my life. I love this in Ephesians 4, verse 22 to 24. Paul says, to people like you and I, he says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true all righteousness and holiness. And so I love this. There's the two sides of the coin there. Paul actually goes on in this chapter to talk about practical examples. He says, hey, there were some people in the church who were thieves. And that was their whole life. So he says, hey, you guys who used to steal stuff, don't do that. That's kind of put off the old self. But then what he also says is, hey, do something useful with your hands so that you have something to share with those who are in need. That's putting on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So we become aware of an area of our lives that we're not happy with and we kind of think, oh God, I kind of think this isn't your plan for my life. It's not just about stopping that. It's saying, Holy Spirit, what is the new thing that you want to establish in my life and that you want to lead me into? It's not just, don't lie, don't lie, don't lie, don't lie. God, help me to be a truthful person. Help me to be an honest person. It's not just, don't be angry with the kids, don't be angry with the kids, don't be angry with the kids, don't be angry with the kids. God, help me to be a loving father. You're getting this. It's two sides to the coin. As we hunger and thirst for righteousness, let's not think about it in terms of the negatives. Let's think about it in terms of the new sense of freedom that Jesus is wanting to bring us into by his grace. That's where the Christian faith gets defined positively. It's about him taking us from a place of restriction and leading us into a spacious place coming out of captivity and into freedom. I love it, I love it, I love it. And sandwiched in between here is the idea that the Spirit of God is at work within us, making us new inside, and we need that to be happening in order for us to change the way that we live our lives. This is not just a self-centered, self-improvement program. We are being transformed by God as we partner with Him. So focus in on one thing, one thing for this week. You go, Lord, what is it you want to work with me with? How can we partner together so that I can be more like you?
So that's kind of the personal holiness aspect of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. The second part of it is to do with seeking to alleviate injustice or suffering in the world. This gets really big picture really, really quickly. And we be, we're aware of needs, massive needs, massive injustices, big scale things that happen in the world. The danger is that we can go, what can little old me possibly do about any of that? Like, God, I'm aware of it, and I know that it grieves your heart, but what could I possibly do? I'm no Martin Luther King, right? I'm no Greta Thunberg. I, I'm no insert famous person here. We make that distinction and go, wow, there's, there's famous people who can do stuff, and then there's us. So Jesus, as much as we want to be a people who hunger and thirst to somehow put things right in the world that are not right, like, seriously, like, what can we do? That can be really discouraging, eh? And disempowering. But the good news is that Jesus validates simple acts of kindness as an expression of outworking the values of the kingdom. Jesus didn't come and say, yeah, you've got to talk to the main power brokers in the world and you've got to change things in terms of systemic racism and injustice in the world in order to really be at work in the kingdom. He says, no, no, you just walk with Jesus every day and you never know what difference your life can make. We can't fix every sense of injustice or need that exists, but we trust the leading of the Holy Spirit. Again, when the Holy Spirit touches your heart and you notice in need like how beautiful was that example that Dal shared earlier just being at the supermarket and Jen like I, I was listening to that going that's a miracle a teenager thinking of someone else wow if that's not evidence for the existence of God I don't know what is but that's beautiful you know a mum and a daughter just at the supermarket noticing someone in need and being moved by the Spirit to do something practical about that. To ask, what, what can we buy you? And then to say, can we pray for you? How beautiful is that? Has that fixed that individual situation? Like, we don't know. But that's obedience to the Spirit of God. That's hungering and thirsting for righteousness. That's living with a willingness to participate with God in putting something right that is not right. It hasn't fixed every situation in the individual concerns life, but it's being obedient, and you just never know how God will use that situation in a story of transformation. What does it look like to hunger and thirst for righteousness for busy parents, for retired people, for young adults, for professionals, for people with two and a half kids and a mortgage and rising costs of living? I was thinking this this week. Like, Jesus, seriously, how can we do this? And the good news is, is that it's not about tackling world hunger. It starts at a very practical level where we are, and there are opportunities every week when we are listening to the voice of the Spirit to do something that makes a difference in someone's life. Our, um, for us as a family, you know, we um, decided a few years ago that $30 a month we're going to put towards tier funds uh, micro-enterprise project in developing countries. That's one practical thing that we do, where $30 a month goes out of our account, 
and that money is then used as a loan to small business owners to help them get their business to a point of being self-sufficient, then they pay back the loan to Tear Fund and the money goes to another business owner and another business owner. So again, for us as a family, that, that's one way that we outwork this. We go, Jesus, we have financial responsibilities, but we're not just going to leave being part of things on that global scale to everyone else. We want to take responsibility for that and do what we can to make a difference. So again, that's, that's not the be-all and end-all. That's just one example. But I'd encourage you to, to connect again with what is in your heart. What is it that you care about and that, that moves your heart when you see it in the world? Is it homelessness? Is it child trafficking? Is it, is it racism? Like, What is it that really just, it's not just a human anger. It's something that you feel is deeper than that, that you just feel like, God, I don't know what to do with this, but I can't ignore how I feel and what I see so clearly. Pay attention to that kind of stuff. And bring it before the Lord and say, Lord, what can I do with this? Because I hunger and I thirst to see your purposes outworked here, God. And I don't necessarily know how to change it all, but can you help me understand what I can do with this passion and this hunger that I feel inside of myself? The Holy Spirit's amazing at connecting the dots and clarifying steps for us. Pay attention to what's in your heart, to what moves you. And just put something in place practically to outwork that. Say, this is me, Jesus, hungering and thirsting for your purposes. Can I just say, please don't wait for the church to get a ministry up and running that aligns with your passion. Oh, just pulled the plaster off that one. <laughs> what I mean by that is, I've experienced this at times in church life, talk to people who have a deep passion in their heart that I just go, man, that is so God. But they, they can come to me at times and say, what is the church going to do about this? Please don't wait for me or for the church as an organization to start something that you can get on board with. Because the church is not an organization. The church is a family. And you are just as much a part of the church as I am. And when all of us actually step out with the passion that we feel in our hearts that is from God, that is the church doing something. Do you hear me this morning? This is not me trying to pass the buck because I don't want to be busier than I already am. This is actually about how Jesus intends for the body of Christ to function. It's not about there being all these organized departments or ministries in a local church to validate every need. Like Every need is valid in this world. Everything that every one of us cares about is an expression of God's heart for this world. There's no pecking order or priority list. God cares about it. If it's injustice, if it's suffering for people, he cares. As we all just do what we can and are mobilized in all these different directions, that is the church being the church of Jesus Christ, hungering and thirsting to see things put right in a broken, messed up world. 
So just step out, whatever that looks like. Matthew 25, this is beautiful, and I'm going to wrap up soon. (laughs) Jesus told this beautiful, beautiful story. He said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels are with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Uh Uh-oh, it's going to get intense. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king, Jesus, will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king, Jesus, will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. That's amazing. It's challenging, but it's amazing. What I love about this, and what just really stood out to me in my thinking this week, was the sense that those, the righteous, is this group of people here who are defined as those who have hungered and thirst to do God's work, is that they seemingly did a bunch of stuff that was a beautiful representation of God's love and justice and righteousness. But they weren't even necessarily aware that what they were doing was on God's radar. Because the stuff that they did doesn't really get headlines in terms of the world that we live in. So here here is a group of people who are like, Jesus, when, when did I do that? He said, oh, whenever you fed the hungry, you gave water to the thirsty, you were there with the sick, you visited the prisoners, whatever you did, that was seemingly insignificant in the eyes of this world. Whatever you did as an expression of the kingdom of God, Jesus says, it's not just that I saw you do it, it's like you did it for me. How powerful is that? Did Jesus take notice when Dao and Jen were in the supermarket simply reaching out in love to one hungry homeless individual? It's not just that Jesus saw that, it's that he, he was so present and it matters so much to him and he identifies so closely with anyone who's in need that he's right there noticing. It's so on his radar. To me, that validates every seemingly insignificant act of kindness that we could ever carry out in Jesus' name. Darwin and Jen could walk away going, oh, well... Does God even notice? Like God's got world hunger and stuff to care about. No, he cares about the big picture, but he's intimately aware of every little act of righteousness carried out in his name. 
please know this week, whatever it is for you to step out in obedience to the prompting of the Holy Spirit to serve or love someone else in Jesus' name, to seek to put right something that is broken or unjust in this world, however small it feels to you, Jesus notices and he is just there going, wow, look at my kids go. This is it. This is how the kingdom of God has an influence on society. It's not that we have to see things change in terms of legislation in our country or even on a global scale. It's that we just commit ourselves at a daily practical level to saying, Jesus, what can I do? And as we do that, Jesus is at work putting things right, meeting needs. Step out. Trust those promptings of the Spirit. You just never know what God can do.